0: So what really inspires me is to go, there's so many, there's so much goodness, not only in people, but in places and happiness and things. And having worked in the media, we have a tendency to focus on the other things. The, the news is, is that way. Um, sometimes sports are that way. So to me, I'm always looking at something that just makes you happy. That makes you smile. And if you're in any situation, there's always something funny, you know. And and it, it you have to pull back sometimes to see it, but to even go, wow, that's great, or that's really funny. And and yes, sometimes you know, terrible. I'm not saying that terrible things don't happen, but there's great things that happen in terrible situations and i can take it to things that happen to me personally and i'm like yeah that happened to me but there i don't care if you hurt me you can't take away my love for something it's the same thing that happened with swimming i had some not that great of coaches they're not going to make me lot love swimming because i love it and that's mine or you know whether you're violated, you know, physically, you know, out on the street or in a place, they can't take what's important. People can take things, they can take ideas, but they can't take what you give. And that's, to me, what's really important. That's what you, when you talked about creating and having those things, to me, creating something is so exciting. I create Products. I'll create concepts, I'll look at how things are done and then go, but yeah, but what if we did it like this? And, you know, to me, I love teaching middle school because so often kids think, oh, everything's already been created and invented. And I'm like, no, it's not. So what can you create with this? What, how, how can you improve this? So to keep kind of that open mind and your eyes wide open to me is to go, you know what, don't look down and, and don't be like that. Look up and see with your heart, and that's the best way to see.
1: That was world champion swimmer Eni Jones on what inspires her, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm super pumped for today's show because not only do we have a champion athlete and coach for you, but we have a yogi. Eenie Jones is an innovator, and today we get to share her intelligence with you. Welcome back to the show. I'm Jess, your host, and this is episode 48 of the YTP. Thank you for tuning in, for returning week after week in support of finding purpose in life. If there's one thing to pull away from this podcast adventure, it's that even the most mundane task can be a true experience of discovery. And when we listen, when we are present to our life, we are able to see an unfolding that is always perfectly timed and one of sheer intelligence. Enie Jones is a living example of what I am talking about. Her unique approach to swimming has come from a series of perfectly orchestrated and organic experiences that she took notice of because she was present, and then applied them to her coaching. In other words, the techniques that she has developed are intelligent. They are different from the norm, and dang, they work. But when we step out of the box and introduce something new, there is a fertile ground for paranoia in the masses that is now available, and resistance almost always shows up. Eenie has experienced so much of this in her career from athletes and coaches alike. You know, it's easy to stand in a line and teach the same old, same old. And it's not that those techniques don't work. Sure, they do. But Eenie gets curious. She is curious about finding a way that yields maximum benefit from minimal work. In other words, She is on the eternal search for flow in all things, and she has the courage to believe in her inspirations and the strength to put them into action. Sure, she faces fear, but as she explains, when channeled in the right direction, it can be fuel. And we know all about this at Yogi Triathlete because we too have faced resistance from athletes and coaches because we are doing something different. We are training our athletes in a way where flow is not a rare state of chance, but a way of life. And we are going against the grain of traditional pre-planned training regimens to look at our athletes as unique beings with unique paths and hidden intelligence that just waits patiently to be brought to life. And Eni gets this same principle. She sees the interconnectedness of yoga and athletics And from this, the unlimited potential for excellence. And so we see no mistake that we were effortlessly connected with Eni almost a decade ago. She continues to be our number one source for swim mechanics and improvement methods. Eni is one of the most sought after swim coaches in the world and an accomplished athlete in her own right. She was the first woman out of the water six times in the Hawaiian Ironman World Championships. She was the SEC and NCAA champion and All American, both in athletics and academics at the University of Florida. She was a United States national team member, and as an open water swimmer, Eni was the Masters World Champion in Perth, Australia. She is the creator of the patented Eni buoy, a pool buoy with adjustable buoyancy, which mimics open water and the shark bite paddle, which helps teach the use of the forearm in swimming. She has trademarked her unique concepts like split tempo and superhero swimming, two techniques that Eni has worked with both BJ and I on in the past. And as recent as October, when we made a stop in Boulder during our ride, the high vibe tour. We recorded this episode at the CU Sports Medicine and Performance Center, specifically in their on-site Swim Labs location. So because we were just a few feet away from the coveted flume indoor training pool, you will hear a bit of an echo during the show, but I don't believe for a second that it takes away from the amazing content in this episode. If you are enjoying the podcast and you want to deepen your support, check out our Patreon page, where for as little as $2 a month, you can make a major impact in the life of this show. Thank you to everyone who has used the Amazon banner ad, donated through Patreon, left a review on iTunes, and shared the YTP with your unique communities. You are the lifeblood of this podcast, and you keep us inspired to show up every single week. And... Speaking of being inspired, I now invite you into our conversation with the one and only Mountain Mermaid, Amy Jones.
0: My God. He's a really cool guy. I'm going to send it to you because you will crack up. So I did some open water videos. Yeah. Um, The first one I used, Ivan, and the second one's a lot of my yoga background because there's so much connection between yoga and swimming that it's... Insane, you know, not only with the breathing but the focus and. um, But and and we're already
1: rolling, and now that you're talking about yoga and swimming,
0: we're going to just we're just going with this. So go, go, go. But Ivan
2: was great. Yeah, he's he's a character.
0: But he's got that same thing that you guys are talking about. You know, like he lives what he's doing. He's yeah. For the first twenty-five
2: minutes of the bike fit, it was just a conversation. Yeah. About what's going on, like how is like. How's your position? What are you doing off the bike? What are you doing on the trainer? Right? It was like the first 25 minutes. And then we got into... Did you see him yesterday? Oh, no, Friday. we, we Friday. saw him Friday. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay.
1: When did we see... When did we come here? Friday. 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 Okay, yeah. So Something we saw him that day. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. 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 No, he's great. We hadn't met him before. And um, he is... Uh, we were connected with him through what? Tristan? Tristan at Brown. At he
2: Trigger Point Therapy. Timex oh. And Team Trigger Point. And anyway, they were friends and connected
0: us. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, how did you how did you meet Ivan? So I met Ivan because he um, is an amazing runner, amazing tempo. Also, a really good cyclist. But for some of his coaches, he's been a point of frustration because he really didn't like the swim. And you have to get they do have the swim in Kona. I was one of the early triathletes that thought they should change the swim to a shower because at the end of the day and you don't really remember it at all. So you might as well, let's all take a shower and go ride. Um, But so I got to, I worked with Ivan the last few years. So when I was talking to you about the cyclist with fins doing an arabesque trying to open up and Ivan's been in some of my videos, so I'll send it to you.
1: So how, like somebody who's a a really strong cyclist, right? And I'm thinking about them like kind of hunched over and we're talking about that. You know, that big cross across the body, is that something that you run into um, as
0: far as maybe like a cyclist, trans, like moving to triathlon and having to open them up? So having to open them up, their psoas muscle, the muscle in the front gets really, really tight, so to be able to open their chest and even do an up kick which is so important, swimming and not a knee drive kick, is really, really important. Um, And then for a triathlete to be able to either do a crossover kick or a 2B crossover is another way to save energy and have great body position. But there's a lot of cross knowledge that you can pull from cycling, and one is to think of your chest as the bottom bracket and your arms or the crank arms connected, so as you reach and drive, press and finish, in that video you, we were just watching of that one woman's arm, if your bottom bracket did that, you'd be like, oh, this is broken, do you know what I mean, but to keep the continuum, and so have everything be from the chest, and think of that as your bottom bracket, or as a kayak paddle, they're connected, as you reach and drive, you press and finish.
1: So. And are you seeing a lot of? Because um, triathlon is
0: still growing so fast. Do so you see a lot of runners, cyclists now moving towards triathlon? Um, I see a lot of it, a runner cyclists moving towards triathlons, and then I see a lot of triathlons triathletes as they get older moving just to swimming because they don't have the time, they're injured, and now they're starting to have all these races in beautiful places where you don't even have to take your bike. You know, so I'm seeing that exodus going, gosh, I did triathlons for years and I'm really coming back to swimming and I want to come back to swimming.
1: So let's get into your story a little bit because you've gone and raced in some beautiful places mm. with your swimming career. So, like, let's
0: just go way, way back. Like, where did you grow up? When did you get into swimming? So, I grew up um, in Siesta Key, Florida. My dad is a former world record holder, but he will always hold a world record because they changed the event. So, his name is Burwell Bumpy Jones, but he Held the world record in the one hundred and fifty i m before a butterfly, so he kind of sometimes gets upset by that, but i 'm like, I think it's cool because you 'll always have that world record, so he was an Olympian world record holder, but we grew up on the beach, which was a phenomenal place to grow up um, during that time. Then I swam up until I went to college at University of Florida, had great coaches I had um, My first coach ever was Greg Troy, and he was the Olympic coach in 2012. So I am thought, it's not often that you're five years old and you start swimming and you have some Olympic coach. And then my coach in college has been one of the Olympic coaches. So after um I swam, I graduated early by the time I was 20 because of the boycotts and not wanting to stay at school, but I loved running. So people would say, hey, didn't you swim in college and you're running all the time? Have you ever seen this thing called a triathlon? So I started doing tries and it was in the early days of triathlons where They hadn't really put the distances together. They took the races from the Waikiki Rough Water Swim, which is that one that's in its 47th year. That was where the 2.4 distance came from. And you're pointing to a beautiful picture on the wall. I keep looking at that when we come in here. That's the Waikiki Rough Water Swim. Then there was a bike race on Oahu that was 112 miles. That's where that distance came from. Then there was a Honolulu Marathon. That was, of course, the marathon. So those are where the distances came from. And in early days, they kind of worked with the distances a little. They did the Bud Light series, and they had the run, which was almost like the classic Olympic distance, but they had the run be nine miles, and they decided that was a little too long for people, so they made the run a 10K. Um, Early on, there was a man named Fletcher Hanks that tried to do equilateral races, and he would an equilateral race would be if you took the best swimmer, the best uh, cyclist, the best runner. So for a half Ironman, it was a four-mile swim, a 60-mile ride, and a 13-mile run as far as the times. But they realized that four-mile swim was really hard for people, and that would make the Ironman distance an eight-mile swim, which means the swim would be something. So to bring people into the sport, It was good and it was bad. They decided to shorten the swim, which are some of the problems we're having now with the additions of wetsuits and a really short swim. Sometimes there are swimmers that really can't swim. And, you know, it's been a safety issue. It's been a big fear factor with people. But that being said, when people get to, you know, the epitome of their in the sport, they can always find extra time in the swim. And that's where I feel like I've been able to come in and help people, you know, not only with a yoga background, but being in all three sports and a swim background and being a teacher and a coach, everything has kind of come together going, well, have you thought about this? Have you, you know, looked at this? And then look at what people are doing right, take that further, and then kind of get away from some of the things that they're doing. Because it's not
1: just one thing. It's never just one thing. Like, if we come to the table with just one thing as coaches, as, you know, um, as teachers, well, nobody's ever going to grow in the full expansiveness that they have the potential to grow in. So you bringing all of these things in and the way that you incorporate them into a full swim stroke and rhythm creates a really efficient body in the water.
0: Yeah, and for me, it's been great as far as expanding my research because so many people are teaching swimming exactly how they taught without thinking about it, and really, it's a science base. So swimming, you have to swim the full equation. It's tempo, length, power, speed, and the combination. You can't have, you know distance per stroke, but then not have any tempo. You've got to have both. So I've even trademarked terms like split tempo, meaning more deliberate underneath through the water, faster through the air, because you're dealing with two different elements. You're dealing with water and air. So you can't have the same tempo because there's two different elements going on. You can have a different tempo above and a different tempo underneath.
1: You look at it like from a holistic standpoint, you really do. Like you're taking everything from the change in the densities of the water to the air. Uh, And that's what I love so much about the way that you coach. And we worked with you when we lived here in Boulder, but I want to know about how you were coached. Like when you were growing up, I know you had these great coaches. Were you coached
0: more in a traditional way? You know, I was coached in a traditional way and I went through um, the period that people don't do now. I just found a swim journal from when I was 13 years old and I was doing 10,000 yards a day 10,000 and what happens is so many people get burned out but I always think there's a part of yourself that you should never share so that being said if you've ever read the book Man's Search for Meaning with Viktor Frankl he was in a Nazi concentration camp but when he was being tortured he had this ultimate liberation because he's like oh my god they can't Get in here. So I always laugh, especially being in Boulder, where so many triathletes are working so hard and taking it so seriously. And I'm like, you know what? This is pretty fun. You're in one of the most beautiful places on earth. You're outside running, biking, and swimming. Have a good time. And it doesn't mean to take away from the seriousness of what you're doing, but you have to have some fun inside and some enjoyment. And I know as a kid, one of the greatest things I ever learned was when I had a coach yelling at me, I'd sink down a little and fill my, water, my ears with water and go, well, I can't hear them. Sometimes people lose the love of it, and when they do that, there's so much power in the love of something and the passion of it that you should never lose that. You can share it, and you can have it grow, but you, it's cool, but nobody can ever take that from you.
2: I feel like um, I just had a great experience in Louis, Louis, Louisville, uh, Ironman, on Sunday, and I, I think I smiled the whole way, because I approach the race as um, I'm just happy to be out here, and I want to feel the, the crowd support, I want to slap high fives, I want, to, I want to run well, of course you want to perform well, but I feel like you're speaking to a lot of people out there who take it super seriously, like, like you really get into it when, if they would just relax a little bit and just enjoy the process and what's happening and enjoy that race day. Yeah, who cares if it's 10 hours or 16 hours, whatever. Um, eventually, you're going to get fitter. You're going to get faster, and as long as you love it, you'll do it for a long time. And and I think some of the swimmers, excuse me, that we ran into, um, a lot of times they they were burnt out early on, like right. early on through high school. They're like, I can't get up at six a.m. anymore or five a.m. I'm done. Like I don't want to do this anymore. So I think they got burnt out. So. I think you touch upon something so key is that love and enjoyment of the sport.
0: And, and there's a few things that happen. I know when I worked with Angela Ney, she always wanted the best people in the race because she felt the energy moving and to move with that energy. But when you talked about the early morning, if you look across cultures, that's early morning is a sacred time in so many cultures. So what is better than swimming at dawn? Really nothing. So I I always try to look at some of those things that you know, people are doing right. There's another thing that I tell people to relax their jaw. So I don't know if you remember the runner in the in 84, Joan. She's from the north um, east.
2: Benoit? Yeah, Samuelson. Samuelson. Yeah.
0: But when she's running, she almost looks like the bottom part of her jaw is going to fall off. And I always tell people besides, you know, their diaphragm, an open diaphragm to be able to breathe, you know, to really relax this when they're swimming running because when we're tight we hold a ton of tension in our faces the other thing I worked with a kid last week and I said her parents are real serious I said you know what she's got to smile more and because she would get into swimming her face was so tight she wouldn't let go of any oxygen she and just being able to smile relaxed her face you know she was able to to enjoy it more. When you think about taking rigidity and putting it into fluidity, which is the water, that is not going to work. Right. And the exercise we just did with hand position, throwing something to look at your hand, if you're too tight, you can't throw. If you're too relaxed, you can't throw. So you really need um, both.
1: Yeah. We were just talking about hand position in the water because a lot of people will come in with that really like staunch like cupped hand and we were talking about how that is an expenditure of energy that you're contracting those muscles right and so swimming is all about efficiency in your energy and and watching we talk about this a lot too like watching where you're spending your energy are you spending energy by clenching your jaw and cupping your hands really tight or are you using that energy to you know get engaged in your lat and find fluidity in your hips and so it's it's Taking that same energy might be expending, but moving it to a more proficient area.
0: Yeah.
2: So a lot of athletes, uh, triathletes, they want that one quick fix. So they they want you to say like, okay, just fix your elbow, keep a high elbow on your right side and go work on that. And there you go. You should be good. But I feel like when we worked with you before and we're working with you now, you're giving us a full picture of what's going on. And you're not saying specifically you know, A, B, and C are gonna equal whatever. You're just like, here's what I see, and go work on it. And you're keeping it very simple. So for us, Jess and I came in here on Friday, two days ago, and Ian took a look at our strokes and um, on the swim labs video, and we were able to see, you know, some weakness in my stroke, some deliberateness in Jess's stroke, um, non-lengthening, but these are the things that you pick up on so quickly. And so you, do you feel now like anybody can come in here, triathlete, just a regular swimmer, and you've got that intuition of like, oh, wow, I can see it immediately, what's going on and how we can correct that.
0: Yeah, and this is an amazing resource because you're in a flume, there you're surrounded by cameras, and then we have a library of different swimmers, different somatotypes that we can compare you with. And then for me, what I feel like I bring is I have... Coached and taught, and been a triathlete and a swimmer. So, to be able to see things, so, you know, and maybe put it together where sometimes people want this fixed right away, but there's a few other things you maybe should look at first, you know. And I know sometimes I say things that are different than the classic things that are out there, but I do try to get people to try them because it'll be faster and easier and then they can work with it but i do think what we're talking about the enjoyment has to come up with it because we were talking about posture earlier and if you enjoy oh with God. your well, if you enjoy <laughs> all just everybody, everybody just sit it, up straight everybody did but if you enjoy with your heart you know it opens and it lifts and it it spreads, you know what? So it really uh, goes out there, and people don't think about that swimming. But the higher you can be in the water, the less strong you have to be. Yes, you can be flat, low, look down, but then you have to do the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, push really hard through all this water. And it's like, as a triathlete, the biggest limiting factor most people have is time. They wanna ride, they wanna run, they have jobs, they have wives, they have husbands, they have families, they have kids. You don't have 10,000 hours. You don't have that. So how can you make the changes but keep the enjoyment? Can you talk a little
1: bit about head position in the water? Because one of the first things you told me when I worked with you years ago here in Boulder was, you know, I was looking straight down and you had me tilt my head up just a little bit, you know, my vision. So I was at more at about 45 degrees. And when I, and first of all, that made me move through the water so much more smooth. That's how what I felt in my body. When I went back to Newport, I was swimming in a master's group and the coach would always be yelling at me about my head position and I was so resistant to look down because I felt like it was so much more work and um, I think that's kind of a traditional
0: head position but what is your take on it? So my um, take on it is this, you always look back to science so water's 800 times denser than air so if you're looking down, your head is lower you're actually almost plowing through the water with another piece of your body that doesn't have to be there. The biggest thing that I think about with people is the chest and the diaphragm. If I lift there, my head is naturally higher. The next piece I think of is it's a huge safety factor. In open water, sighting is important. There are big fish. There are packs you want to get to. There are boats you could run into. So the higher you can be in the water, the more access easier you have to sighting. The more rhythm you can keep in your shoulders without looking straight down so it really to me is threefold I really people have come at me because they're like oh she's the one that says your head should be way high then my feet sink and I say no not if you swim like I'm teaching you to swim with a navel swivel and an up kick then you have your body a good body position and your head can be high But I have seen people run into propellers, really bad things that happen in the water going, no, you need to have that awareness and it needs to be in front of you because there are safety issues in the water, whether they're boats, people, anything you want to get to a pack, you want to be higher. And it's the classic old teaching of look down, be flat, but I'm saying no, but you can look up and activate and it's a little bit easier. So the last thing I leave with coaches is I used to kind of laterally engage, and now I go, you know what? You don't swim with your head. You actually swim with what's inside your head. So really, will it work if you're looking flat, swimming straight down? Yeah, but you're gonna have to put in a lot more yards or meters to get going. If you lift up and your head's higher, not only is it easier, you have access to going, oh, there's that pack. Oh, there's the finish line. Oh, I see the turnaround boat. It's so much easier, and it allows you to open your chest and be a little wider. When people's heads are down, they have a tendency to start their stroke right in front of their face, which is just shoulders again. So, you know, I'm not saying it's not going to work to have your head down, but it's a lot more work to make it work, and then you're losing a lot of the awareness that you need in open water and in triathlon triathlons in general, you need to know where everything is. You need to know where the course is. You need to know where that pack is. You need to know where the finish line is. You need to know if you're straying off course. And if you're looking straight down, usually you're collapsed through your diaphragm, which is just not good because then you're in your traps and you're folded and pushing straight through.
1: So could you describe like what that head position, like if somebody wants to... You know, now I'm like picturing a bunch of people swimming with their heads out of the water because I heard this podcast with Amy Jones. So
0: what would they do? Like say they're looking straight down. Would they just kind of tweak it up about 45? If you lift your chest, it naturally lifts your head and keep your neck neutral. I say it's a lot. Swimming, I say, is always like surf paddling and salsa Mm. dancing and you're doing both at the same time. But there's so many dance analogies. When you're dancing and you do a turn, you spot with your head. Your head is the last thing that leaves the wall, it's the first thing that comes around. So really, and it's with your eyes, you need to spot with your eyes. So when you're swimming, your eyes are where you wanna go. If you're looking straight down, you're not going there. You actually want to have that 45 degree with your eyes and you want to be able to do things like pirate breathe or lift up. It's it's really about where your eyes are. You're not looking down. You're looking actually 45 degrees. So rather than think about your head position, I'd much rather have people lift their sternum, their chest, and raise their eyes 45 degrees just so they have access to everything in front of them. And then they're not worried about, oh, is my head, you know, because, you know, you can swim with your head real low, but you have to be stronger pushing through the water. And then you don't have the access to sighting that you want.
2: I I think this is such a huge component of of what our audience needs to hear. And that's, I think majority of swimmers swim in a pool. Exactly. Triathletes swim in a pool and they're doing 90% of their work in a pool. And then they're Closer to the race, they're three weeks out and they're like, maybe I'll go take a, a, a try in the ocean and they take a swim or two and then they get to race day. So they've done three or four swims, open water and siding, and they've done months and months of training in a pool looking down and doing flip turns. And I think that's one of the most insightful things for triathletes is to get out there or at least practice these things in a pool. Like there's ways you can do it. We were just talking about showing the colored kickboard and being able to identify that. So
0: I'll do a sighting drill where people will swim a 300 or 400, and every fourth length I'll hold up a different colored kickboard so when they finish they have to go red, green, yellow, blue. So it's almost like they're sighting in a race, Or I'll put people in a front snorkel because they say, wow, I feel so much better in a front snorkel. And I'm like, yes, but you lifted your chest. Your eyes are a little, they're not straight down in a front snorkel. It's lifted everything up. And it's usually widened your entry a tiny bit. So, you know, it it helps that. The other thing I'll tell people is sometimes I'll get, I'm a huge comfort breather. People say, oh, should I breathe every third? And I'm like, breathe what's comfortable. But if you want to challenge yourself every third length, forward breathe. So you're actually breathing forward to stabilize your sternum, your sternum and your shoulders, and you can use it as sighting. It's not like you really have to breathe to that side that's uncomfortable, but you really do want to stabilize the T, the sternum and the shoulders, so every once in a while, forward breathe. Or if you don't feel like forward breathing, every the end of 200, look to see what the coach is doing. Look up and forward, or look up to see if you're getting closer to that person, you know, you started back. That actually lifts the chest and opens everything up.
1: So, you talked about how um, people say, well, if I lift my chest, then my legs are going to sink. And
0: you described an up kick. So, I I do two things. One thing is a navel swivel, meaning when my left hand enters, my navel goes to three o'clock. When my right hand enters, my navel goes to nine o'clock. And when that navel goes to the other way, it gets the hip out of the way to actually give me more finish in the back of the stroke. The next thing is actually an up kick. Most triathletes are runners and cyclists and they knee drive their kick when the most important part of a kick is actually that you get that hip out of the way and then you up kick and then use your toes almost as paint brushes. We can take it further to teach a propeller kick which is more like a scissor kick or a two beat crossover which if you watch the um, Winner, the 1500, um, from Rio, he had a two-beat crossover, but it gives you excellent body p- position for open water without a lot of energy expenditure, and that's what you want. And I'm not saying a six-beat kick is wrong, but it's a lot of energy expenditure that you don't need to use if you want to have good body position.
1: Yeah, and for triathletes, efficiency is everything because we still have to bike and we still have to run. Exactly. What's the biggest um thing that you see, and you might have already touched upon it, but what is the biggest thing that you see triathletes doing in the water where they're wasting their energy?
0: Um, a lot of it is uh, the beginning of the race, especially in ITU races, I call it Chinese takeout. People go so hard, <laughs> they almost blow. So being a yoga teacher in three different kinds of disciplines, I start having them work their autonomic nervous system There, which is your breathing and your heart rate to actually go that same speed, but make it easier. And when they say, well, how do they, how do I do that? And I said, you actually start to take the focus more internal. I'll have them breathe in through their mouth and then exhale through their nose the first part of a race to actually slow down that hyperventilation that starts at the beginning of a race because it's cold, they're in a wetsuit, they want air, they're going, and then what happens is they think they're tired, but they're really not. Their breathing has just gotten so out of control. So if they breathe in through their mouth and exhale through their nose, then when it's time to breathe again, they go, I guess I don't need air because I haven't totally exhaled all my air. So to start combining you know working the different energy systems in their body and that's where yoga the things you learn in yoga the connection of mind body a breathing movement you know with swimming it happens but you can even take it a step further
1: and you know breathing in yoga is pranayama right. pranayama translates to life force energy right so life force management like if we if we can manage our energy during quote-unquote, hard efforts. You know, it's something that I described to BJ the other day because I'm doing all my training now on perceived effort because what has happened to me is that my heart rate can be booming and my breath is long and controlled. Right. And so what's happening is that I feel like the heart rate monitor is not serving me because my perceived effort and my breath is so controlled that um,
0: I feel like my perceived effort is what is more on point. Which is funny because I go to this exercise class now and they're like, oh, do you want a heart rate monitor? Because they put everybody's heart rate. And I just said, oh, no, I don't have a heart. But really the reason why is because I'm the same as you. The only time I ever use my heart rate monitor now is when I clean the house because it takes me 11 minutes and I try to go anaerobic cleaning the house to see <laughs> if I can run up and down the stairs. But to me, my whole point is to keep that effort hard, but through my breathing and my heart rate, make it really easy. So I don't really care if I'm going anaerobic. If internally, that's when I talked about that internal happy space, being able to focus and relax. If I can te- keep my breathing totally relaxed, I can go really hard, but have something totally different going on inside. And there's so many coaches and people that have worked with this for years, like Phil Maffetone used to make people low heart rate, go out and run, you wanna run fast and easy as a low heart rate, but I never felt like they gave you the tools as to how to do it, and that's where yoga actually gives you the tools, because to me, I always say it's that thing where people go, the whole point is not to relax before the storm or after the storm. The whole point is to be relaxed and centered during the storm. So there was one yoga class I was teaching and somebody's, phone went off in shavasana and everybody was so upset and was like don't allow her to come to class make sure there's no phones Banish coming her in. right and Punish i said her. no i want everybody <laughs> to thank her and they looked at me and i was like cuz if you can relax when your boss is yelling at you your phone's ringing at you someone's flipping you off in a car a cell phone's going off then you're learning a whole nother place of relaxation it's like the yogi on the top of the mountain yes is it easy to be relaxed there when you're all by yourself in this beautiful place yes but try being relaxed at dmv try having a good time in the checkout line at the grocery store because that's where most of our life is it's not this beautiful vacation place every day it's you know the times when things are hard and that's that's mastery
1: Right. Right. And so I always say this like, if you're an athlete and you want to do better and better and get faster and faster and be the best and all these things and you want to achieve and all of these things that us athletes have inherently wired within us, don't you want to be a master? Like, there's nothing less that I want to achieve than to be a master of my life, of my craft of the way I move through the world. And the other thing I want to touch upon is we were talking a couple days ago about the breathing and these like controlled exhales, these long controlled exhales, those are going to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. It's going to lower the cortisol in your body, not the testosterone, but the cortisol in your body. And that is how you start to be able to, um, you know, be calm Uh, at the DMV or when the lady's phone goes off in yoga.
0: Well, and exactly, and I think of, I teach superhero posture a lot because they've been able to measure hormones by posture, and the classic superhero stance with the lifted chest and your hands at the hips, they've measured you, and it does increase testosterone and lowers cortisol, and that you can change your hormones just by breathing and posture is huge, and we don't, look at that enough. We're always looking for, oh, when I leave my job, I'm on, I'll am on. i have fun on vacation. And it's like, but why not have fun right now, whatever you're doing? Um, this morning, I was talking to a woman, and she had just been injured. And I said, but didn't you just get engaged to your um, future husband, who's a doctor that you met because you were injured? So, things happen that are pretty miraculous. Sometimes your worst races are your best races because you meet someone, you see something that if you would have been in your classic race mode, you would have totally missed. So that heightened awareness on every level, I think is amazing. I think
2: and something that we really uh, bring with our athletes is the yoga. So you're a yoga teacher, yeah. Jess is yoga teacher. Maybe someday I will be a yoga teacher. But the yoga that we've been, we've been practicing for the past few years uh, has made a huge difference in my, in my breathing and approach to races. I, I was just thinking about it as you're talking. I get to that starting line. I don't have the panic breaths, the panic you know, um, anxiety that I used to have when I used to do the stroking strides here. Like, yeah. Those were crazy. I would freak out in the first 100, 200 yards, and I'd have to stop. Now, I'm thinking back to Sunday's race. And about halfway through the race, I started breathing every three strokes just because I was comfortable, like I was calm and I was in a groove and it just felt natural to me. So I think, I don't think yoga can be understated. So someone comes to you and they want some some work done with their, their stroke, I think it, it's deeper, you know, it's deeper. It could be their posh, posture, like you're talking about, it could be starting a yoga practice.
0: And it could be even things like... Um I've been teaching sometimes a gallop, which is a different recovery tempo on the one side than the other side. And so sometimes I even, this one woman got it, and I said, what was your mantra? And she said, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you. And she said, it's I can on one side and swim on the other side i can't swim and then another woman i said oh my gosh that looked great and she goes i'm not going to tell you and i said oh you can tell me and she said no i used your name enie jones because it was three syllables but she didn't realize by aligning her thoughts to that mantra is another meditative yoga practice it got all those other thoughts mm-hmm out of the way because she was just working on her thoughts in her head, you know, and aligning her thoughts with the movement and not having a lot of emotion go with those thoughts, which is what a mantra is.
2: So in that gallop stroke, let's touch upon that briefly, is that a quicker stroke on one side
0: than on the recovery? And so it's very, very, very useful in really rough open waters because they found horses gallop because... We talked about energy expenditure. And when you gallop, you let go on the recovery, which is why horses do it, because they let go. It's easy to recover. You also can reach further. When, when you let go, you can surge and reach forward. So having that deliberate, off-tempo surge, when it's really rough, and you'll see it now. Katie Ledecky is a perfect pool example. She actually has one. Andrew Gemmel that she swam with last year, he has one. Um, you start seeing it everywhere, and so many coaches are like, get rid of that lope or that gallop, and I'm like, oh, no, it's a huge asset, especially if you're in rough water and you want to be able to let go to reach and not have it be this methodical, controlled thing. So if you have it, it's a great thing to keep. The thing that I love
1: about the techniques that you teach is that they have come to you in such an organic way. And I was just having a conversation with my meditation teacher. We were having this conversation about the difference between the mind and the ego and the intellect and intelligence. And he was saying, you know, I know a lot of people who sit on the boards of Ivy League schools who are filled with data and information. They're very intellectual, but they're not intelligent at all. And intelligence the way he described it to me intelligence comes when you take that data and information and you create something new and that's what you have done you have created something new and not everybody has gone along um, with you you've had some resistance and but the, the to me like I don't ever want you to forget and and just feel the validation of the way that these things come to you so can you explain the conch shell Um, Um, experience because this is just such a beautiful experience of how you organically um, take the data and information that you know from swimming and you turn it into intelligence, because the way that you teach, I think, is so intelligent.
0: Well, I've, um, I appreciate that, number one, but I've had people use rocks, because there's more surface area in your forearms than your hands, and to get that hand a little bit lower, so many people say elbow up, but if you drive forward and down with that hand, you can use your forearm, but I was trying to teach the concept of split tempo, and I always take swimming back to science because science to me is so fascinating, but I was trying to teach people to be deliberate under the water and let go in the air. And it's interesting that as a culture and society, I have to teach people to let go because they can only let go on vacation or when they're by themselves. But how can you let go and be aware and active? So I was in the Bahamas and I make salt dishes from big conks and you're, you're allowed to eat the big conks but you're not allowed to eat the little conks so i was swimming around and i saw these little conch shells that somebody had already cut the top off and i thought oh that's too bad they ate the little conks but maybe i can make small dishes so there were two down there and i dove down and i grabbed them and i put them in my hands and when i was swimming back to the boat i thought oh my god this is what i'm trying to teach cuz Under the water, the conch shell fills up and you're much more deliberate and it drains through the air. So I just had this moment of going, this is how I teach people that there's two different tempos going on. It's not this methodical tempo. And then the biscuit sand dollars were also the same thing. They fill in your hands. They've got a small hole underneath. They're much more subtle, but they fill up underneath and drain through the air. So to me, one of the things I always pull back to is the acronym PLAY. And people don't think about it, but it's so important to put love around you. Because when you have love around you, you feel supported and protected. So you can accomplish anything. You can do anything. You can have people saying bad things about you. I don't know if you know this, but there's restaurant in Denver called Casa Bonita's. Have you ever heard of that? Mm -mm. So they have cliff divers and the food isn't maybe the best, but kids love it. They have cliff diving at the restaurant? Yes. So one kid (laughs) was being made fun of in the parking lot, in the playground, and I heard him and he was, his eyes were welling up with tears and he looked at the other kid and he goes, I don't care what you say about me because I'm going to Casa Bonita's tonight. And I thought, you know what, we all need that thing in our heart, that belief and that love and that thing to look forward to, that you can withstand all the stuff out there, that people say, oh, well, you're only getting this because of this, or this is only happening to you, so that you have something to look forward to and something that inspires you and something that you're like, yeah, this is great. And when he said that, I thought, wow, they should use that in a commercial because that was, that was great, you know.
2: So what inspires you, Eni?
0: So <laughs> what really inspires me is to go, there's so many, there's so much goodness, not only in people, but in places and happiness and things. And having worked in the media, we have a tendency to focus on the other things. The, the news is, is that way. Um, sometimes sports are that way. So to me, I'm always looking at something That just makes you happy, that makes you smile. And if you're in any situation, there's always something funny, you know, and, and it, it, you have to pull back sometimes to see it, but to even go, wow, that's great, or that's really funny. And, and yes, sometimes, you know, terrible, I'm not saying that terrible things don't happen, but there's great things that happen. In terrible situations and I can take it to things that happen to me personally and I'm like yeah that happened to me but there I don't care if you hurt me you can't take away my love for something it's the same thing that happened with swimming I had some not that great of coaches they're not gonna make me lot love swimming because I love it and that's mine or you know whether you're violated, you know, physically, you know, out on the street or in a place, they can't take what's important. People can take things, they can take ideas, but they can't take what you give. And that's, to me, what's really important. That's what you, when you talked about creating and having those things, to me, creating something is so exciting. I create products. I'll create concepts. I'll look at how things are done and then go, but yeah, but what if we did it like this? And, you know, to me, I love teaching middle school because so often kids think, oh, everything's already been created and invented. And I'm like, no, it's not. So what can you create with this? What? How? How can you improve this? So to keep kind of that open mind and your eyes wide open to me is to go, you know what, don't look down and, and don't be like that. Look up and see with your heart, and that's the best way to see. So you do have products, and we've used them. Can you touch upon a few, like the Eenie Bowie? Yeah, so the <laughs> Eenie Bowie is actually um, a plastic pull buoy, and it's, yes, it's a little slippery, but you, most people pull like, They've had an epidural from the waist down. And you (laughs) really need to squeeze and engage your core. So by having that navel swivel and squeezing that, You will. So when it's empty, your tempo will be faster. It's like being in salt water. You're very high in the water. When you put water in the bottom one, it stretches your psoas out. When you put water in both, it adds seven pounds, so you're actually getting much stronger. If you take it in open water, you can put your drink in it. So I've gone on long ocean swims, and people are like, hey, who did you have do your support? And I'm like, you know what, I brought my own drink, and I just— You know, swam out in the open water with that. Um, I also have um, shark bite paddles where you grab over the ends and you're really using your forearms and driving your knuckles down so you're able to um, use your forearms. One of the things I want to do next is for kids. A lot of the kids in the Caribbean island put a cork on the back of their goggles so that if their goggles are kicked off, you know, they float. And I was like, but what if you made them in little turtles or little good thing luck good luck charms for kids just so that, you know, it's not in the way, but then you have a little bit of power, you know, behind your head, your power. Like a little sword. totem back there. Little totem. Mm-hmm. So, um, those kind of things. I probably should make rocks and seashells and, and those kind of things, but you know, there's always Uh, a way that will resonate with somebody. I just was watching Shark Tank on the computer and somebody was on a fit board and I'll teach that with cables. It's teaching somebody, at first they taught people to box from their core like that, but if you hold those cables and move side to side on that board, it's teaching you to finish your stroke and keep your T really solid and moving from The waist down. So it's kind of teaching movement because as a culture, we sit so much, we've lost the proper way to move, you know, in our upper thoracic, in our lower lumbar. So it's really important that people keep moving through their life.
1: There's so much uh, immobility through hips and low back. I mean, and if you look at, you know, where a lot of the injuries are, low back and hips and all that. So keeping mobility in there. And one of the best so basic yoga poses that I love to do, especially if I'm feeling tight after a hard workout before I will, you know, start on my workout for the day. It's just cat cow. Right. Like cat, I, I loosen up cat cow and then I'll go into a child's pose and kind of, cause that's really, child's pose is very intense for me in the low back. But if I do some cat cow, I'll get the blood pumping in there, you know, and then kind of sit in a child's pose. It's, it's like all you need. So, Sometimes I think people get overwhelmed by, oh, now I've got to buy a mat, and i got to go to a yoga class, and it's so expensive, and it's just not. But it's not any of those things. It's as simple as taking a breath. It's as simple as a little bit of spinal mobility. It's... Very simple to just start getting mobility back in your body.
0: Well, and having a little bit of fun with yourself, and this sounds terrible, but I've made people wear their front snorkel in the car the way to their triathlon <laughs> because to actually get them to be aware of their breath and their nerves when they're going somewhere, or I've even... Because you if, can hear you it can so hear well. It. I love So that. what happens is, you know, and it's almost like a scuba regulator, but in Crested Butte, one of the jobs I had was I skied around as a big bear, and at the end of the day, I was so relaxed, but it was almost like being in my own little Vipassana, silent, because I couldn't talk all day, and I just heard myself breathe, And I realized there's a whole nother level that we hardly go to. So when I was talking about play and doing things more fun, I will do goofy stuff. Like if I get stopped by a cop and my heart rate monitor's there, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to use this opportunity to go, okay, can I not get that heart rate spike? Can I stay center and focus? Or if somebody pisses you off to go, is there a way I can engage with them that's not combative and, and I have a hard time because I can get super lit up and super angry but then I'm like but this is my own thing and I know one of the disciplines all I used to teach was Bikram because I lived in Crested Butte and it was so cold but his spinal series just that little bit is so great for swimming because you know to realize you Engage your lower back, and then you do a counter pose and all the different. And you're only using your own body, but you don't have to do an hour and a half class. You can do your correction while you're sitting. You can move, you know, when you're waiting for something. And, and that's, I think, the biggest thing is people go, well, I don't have the time. Or people say to me, I don't have the time that you have. And I always look and go, last we checked, we both had 24 hours You know, in our day. You know, it's how you choose to kind of put things in it and realize it doesn't have to be a full piece. And I know even, you know, writing, if you write a page a day, you have three, you know, over three hundred pages at the end of the day. So if you do one sit-up every day, that's three hundred sit-ups at the end. If you do one squat when you get out of bed. You know, just to activate and release, do you have that? It you know, yes, it would be nice to have that time, but I don't know if we ever will master time. And I think it's it's almost better to do a little bit throughout the
1: day sometimes, especially if you're in a lot of training, to not just say this is my one hour for yoga and I have to do it all right here, but right. if you if that's not realistic for you, just to, to sprinkle it. Throughout the day, like a little when you first wake up in the morning, which is, as you, as you already touched upon, a sacred time. It's so quiet energetically. And um, maybe a little bit after lunch to help with digestion and a little bit, you know, right before you leave work or three o'clock instead of grabbing that coffee, go out and take a little walk or do a little bit of yoga at your desk. So it can be, it can be any way that you create it to be. Yeah. what works best for you and your schedule.
0: And I, I think we're we're changing as a culture, you know, the way people work and, and how they do things, but we also need to start changing as an individual and seeing, well, what, you know, the only thing I can really control is my attitude, mm-hmm. my emotions, my behavior. I can't really regulate what's going to happen to me, but I can, you know change how I interpret her to how it affects me or look at, you know, how you can be helpful to someone else if they're being affected yeah. by something.
1: And um, I'm going to, I want to get like your resume to, to share in the, in the intro because you've done a lot in your life. But is there an experience that you want to share from either your swimming or triathlon career that um, you felt was maybe one of your most challenging or messy or intense
0: Well, no, there's been a few things. Like I remember there was one time I, one of the outfits I was supposed to wear was a little bikini. And when you get up at 4 a.m., I put it on backwards. So when I started riding, I was like, wow, my butt's gotten really big. And then I looked, I was like, I have on my pants backwards. And I thought, I can't wait till somebody passes me on the run so I can go behind a tree and change my (laughs) pants. But, I mean, there's always stuff that's so funny. I remember the first time um, Wendy Ingram did Kona, and she said, where should we start? And I said, you know, you want to make it fun. You want to swim with somebody. Hey, there's Rob Mackle. Let's swim with him. And so we go up there, and I'm like, oh, wow, he's mooning us. And he actually, it was right before the race start, and he took a poo, and we were like, oh, my God. And she's like, what now? And I was like, just don't take any water in the first you know, because he's not going to get out. But there's all—that's what I mean. There's always things that just happen that you go, "Okay, I couldn't have predicted that." But how am I going to deal with you know that that? And happens. all
1: we have control over is the choices that we make, right? right and, and to
0: me, it, life should be a celebration, and it should be fun. And the older we get, we realize, you know, our parents aren't here for that long, our siblings aren't here for that long, and and really that we have this hobby or jobby or whatever you call your triathlon, where it allows it to be a celebration of your life and your fitness, and that you guys take it a bit further to go, well, wait, how can I enjoy it and share it and even make it more than this physical aspect? It really is. I mean, I know when I taught in Italy, I taught middle school and we had the block schedule, which is great for older kids, but these younger kids were like, could we go out and run in the middle? And I'm like, absolutely, and then when you come back, you're gonna write, and then we'll go run again, and we'll see how it changes, so that you realize your brain and exercise does change, and now there's all this research and books called Spark, but when you are active, your brain is better, and when your heart is in the right place, you're just a a better person, so when you can start aligning your brain and your heart, and your physical body, it brings so much more. Yeah, well, what you're describing
1: is the flow state.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that that doesn't have to happen just
1: by chance. Like, we can live in that state. Yeah. When our awareness starts to merge with our activity, you know, merging with our love and our passion, that's how you can start to live in flow.
0: And I think you two are living proof of it. Heck yes, (laughs) we are. And
1: that doesn't mean I I can't stress this enough, especially as we get closer to California. I can't stress this enough that it does not come without fear. There's so much fear that comes in on a daily basis, but it's what is my relationship? Am I going to feed that? Am I going to let everything go out of my control and start to breathe heavy? Or am I just going to kind of get control of my life force and realize that nothing else feels aligned and um, and not feed that, not
0: feed that fear. And, and the way I try to teach that is there's those Roman gladiators on the stand-up chariots. Mm-hmm. And if they have a black horse and a white horse, I say the white horse is your hopes and your dreams and the black horse is your fear. And you want to harness both of them and let them pull you. If you're not scared... You know, then you rarely have any respect. Do you need to be scared of the ocean? Absolutely. There are things that can eat you. There are things that can run into you. There are, there are things that you cannot control with tides and currents and, but, but that fear teaches respect, and that fear can actually, if you can harness it, it moves you. Your dreams and your goals are your white horse. If you can harness that, and if you can harness them together, they both can take you rather than you trying to only, I won't go with one horse. You want to go with one horse, but let them pull you. Yeah, you can't... Um
1: you can't stop it. You can't stop the fear. It doesn't matter how long I meditate or how many spiritual texts I read. Like, you can't stop it. So it's making friends with it. It's welcoming all things and seeing, well, this is just energy. Right. It's just energy. How can I direct it towards the goal? Yeah, I, I love to do things that scare me. This is why I do triathlon. This is why I've given up everything we own to go move <laughs> to um, California, you somewhere. know? Yeah, somewhere. We still don't even know. But um, but yeah, it's it's not saying that uh, only the good days are good and the bad days are bad. It's it's all just experience, and it's how are you going to take all of that and use it
0: for forward momentum? And I had some. I had had some great teachers. One of my greatest teacher was a golf teacher and his name was Joe Ternessa and he was 84 when I was 24. And I was kind of deciding at that point, oh, do I get into triathlons? Do I go with golf? But when I played with him every day, he, if you hit a bad shot, he immediately put a ball down and went, okay, hit another and don't give it any energy. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant because that was during the whole McEnroe, throw a racket, mm. and you see people get mad at a golf shot, and you're like, well, most of your shots are like that. So really, you want to give energy to the goodness. And I realize as a coach, as a teacher, as an educator, I always tried to not teach to the lowest common denominator to make things more reward, to give the good energy more important. And I look forward to today, to the days when the media is more like that, but you guys are creating that. You're making good things happen and exposing good things rather than the things that are happening that aren't um, great things. So to realize even in your training, you know, like when people say they had a bad day or, oh, I had a bad swim today, I'm like, well, it wasn't a race. And you can't always have a you know, a good swim. And so was there any good thing that happened in your swim? Like, I know sometimes when people go, oh, I was sick during that race. I was like, oh, that's great. And they're like, what? And I said, because when you're sick, you stop doing that thing going, how do I feel? Does my arm hurt? Does my shoulder? You know, it's like, oh, well, this is what it is. I'm just going to go with it because I'm not going to do the self inventory because I don't feel that good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move through that. And to me, it's always been this Moving through the threshold—that's important. We get to the threshold and we go, "Oh, that hurts! Oh, that Uh, back up! Oh, that hurts!" And the whole point is to move through that doorway to that place. That it—it's not that it doesn't hurt anymore, but it doesn't matter because you've just totally moved through, assessing what it felt like. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. So we have swimming. There's so much information out there. Right. You can watch videos. You can read articles. You can go to seminars. So for our audience, if we could, and I know this is a life, I, 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 truly believe it's not a one quick fix in swimming. I feel like you need to embrace few things. You need to get stronger. You need to practice. Right. What, through all the stuff that's out there, what's one thing someone can start doing just to maybe maybe tune into their stroke or their, their swim efforts at a race that they can, they can work on, whether that's a mental component, whether that's an actual skill, or um, just swim more. What is one thing that someone can do today?
0: You know, I, I do think I like when um, people say they, I love it when I work with people and they say I hate swimming, and then they say they love swimming. Because when you love swimming, then your posture changes. And I've worked with so many people that are like, God, I wish you this wasn't part of the triathlon because I totally hate it. Now they're like, you know, my swim training, I love it the most because it's sacred time. I get to be with my own thoughts and my own breath. And so to take it to that level is really important. Um, where I said sometimes I don't resonate with some coaches, there are some great coaches out there and some great groups and great training partners, and to really find it because It should be enjoyable, because if you're training, it's taking up a huge part of your social life, so make it enjoyable. Find a group you like, find a training partner you like, and do that. The other thing is, there are some really phenomenal and great um, coaches out there, and people out there. And yes, there's information that you think, oh God, I can't believe that this person got pressed, or this is out there, but, That being said, there's still some really good things. So, you know, I would use some of the resources and look at what's worked for other people. I also know as a teacher, two people can stand and say the same thing, and you might hear one person and not the other person. So find somebody, you know, a coach, a training partner that does, you know, resonate with you because that the enjoyment factor just makes everything better. I think that's great
1: advice, and I think we're going to wrap it up here. Eni, thank you so much for inviting us in. We're at the CU Sports Medicine and Performance Center at the Flume, where people can come and get some intelligent tips and um, guidance for swimming. And we'll put all these links up in the show notes so people know how to get a hold of you and they can follow you. And uh, all that. So thank you so
0: much for having us here. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Now it's time to jump into the flume and see the (laughs) truth.
2: How can people connect with you? So
0: the best way, um, I have a website, um, www.eniejones.com, or um, a website for the buoy, com or through Swimlabs, which um, is swimlabs.com. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. Connect with her you guys.
1: She's amazing. She's (laughs) intelligent. Not everybody's intelligent. This one's intelligent Innovative intelligent amazing Amy Jones. Let us know what you thought about the show Has she turned your pool upside down or what? Definitely check out the show notes for more on swimming like a superhero, getting your upkick on and developing your split tempo gallop stroke to move you through the water with free speed and bring out your inner mermaid or merman. Also in the show notes are links to the Amazon banner ad and our Patreon page. Thank you everyone for keeping the YTP heart beating with love and enthusiasm. Until next week, look for what is mundane in your day and explore how you can get curious about it. Find where your brilliance is hiding and where it's showing up and continually ask yourself how you are riding the high vibe of life.